0: All of us come from different places each Sunday morning. You know, some of us come into the house of the Lord this morning desperate and depressed. Um, The cares and the suffering of life might be weighing you down. Others come full of joy and excitement. You've been singing at the top of your lungs so far. Some of us just come distracted with a million things to do this week, and this is just the first thing on the list. Some of us come in hungry for the Word of God, and other of us just come hoping the sermon's not too boring or too long this morning. Now, I don't know how you're feeling, but the central question I have for all of us is, is your worship careful or careless? As you spend time in our service in God's house, are you coming intentionally and deliberately to worship Jesus Christ, the only true God, or are you just kind of, well, you're here because you're always here? You're just careless and you're going through the motions without putting too much thought behind it. You know, we come to worship in a dangerous place. This is the house of God. Wherever two or three are gathered, there the Lord is. And his word also tells us that there are angels among us who worship with us and watch our worship. But far too often our worship can be careless and thoughtless. And this should not be... Our passage this morning warns us of the dangers of careless worship and it's going to encourage us that we need to be careful when we enter into God's house that we watch how we act. If you would, turn to your Bibles with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're just going to do the first seven verses here and they're going to show us really two areas that we need to be careful about and then we'll finish by looking at the gospel. Um, So if you are able, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. The flower fades. The grass withers, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would be here this morning, that you would help us to not be careless in our attentiveness to your word. Lord, would I not be careless in the preaching of it? Would we spend the rest of our remaining time together in true and careful worship of you and in the fear of you? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Our first point, if you're keeping notes in your bulletin, is that we need to be careful in our worship. That we should be careful in our worship. We need to be careful instead of careless. We really have to be intentional when we come to worship Jesus. And by worship, I'm not just talking about the music portion of our service, which we just had some of and we'll have more again. I mean, every single moment that we are spending inside the church, we need to be careful during the whole service. Verse 1 tells us right away, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. One of the first things that he tells us to do is to guard our steps. It's the idea of being careful where you walk, watching your steps. Just like a shepherd would watch over the sheep at night to keep them safe. Or the soldiers would guard the city gates to keep the village safe. She you would watch your steps like you watch them when a newborn is asleep in the room and you don't want to wake them. She you watch your steps like you're mountain climbing and you want a secure foothold so you don't fall. You watch your steps like you're walking on a tightrope across a canyon. You should watch our steps when we go to the house of God. The question is: do we really watch our steps when we come to worship? Not literally are we working, looking down at our feet, but are we careful in our worship? Are we careful when we show up on Sunday morning? Because too often we, instead of being careful, we're just careless. Some are careless because they just come and they just want to be entertained. They come and they want their ears tickled. Sunday morning looks less like worship and more like a party. Some are careless because they just come to consume. They come as customers instead of as worshipers. They wanna sit back and be provided with a product and if they liked it, maybe afterwards they'll leave a nice review. Some are careless, they just come to see friends. Sunday's just a social gathering. It's not a time to see God. Some are careless because they come as critics. There's nothing wrong with criticism. Surely there's plenty to criticize but some show up on Sunday with a rubric in their hands or at least in their head of all the boxes that need to be checked in order for today to be a good service or at least a legitimate one. You know, let me see, let me make sure they said the right prayer, sang the right song, or they all better, I hope they don't sing that song again. That, that song's no good. Let me see if the pastor fits my theological tribe or this, make sure he talks about my favorite Greek word. These people are careless because they're not guarding their own steps, they're busy guarding other people's steps with no concern for where they themselves are walking. The rest of verse 1 tells us, To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. There's a lot going on in that verse. First, he's telling us, hey, worshiping quietly, that's better. Better than being foolish. In Israel, right, their worship, it was centered on the sacrificial system. So you show up at the temple and you're going with your animal most of the time to make a sacrifice for your sins so that you can find forgiveness. Or you're bringing an offering to show how much you love, how much you value God. That was how their worship went. So the picture that Solomon or the preacher or the writer of Ecclesiastes is painting is saying, hey, instead of showing up this morning with all of your animals ready to go, maybe just show up by yourself and be quiet. And just watch what's happening. Maybe sit and listen to the priest give a proclamation of their forgiveness of sins. Maybe listen to the confession of other sinners as they confess their sins. Sit and observe what is happening in worship. Listen to the sounds of those animals as they die. Watch and listen to the sounds of the blood as it drips on the altar or spills on the ground. Hear and meditate on the weight and the cost of your sin. It would be far better to listen to that, to observe it, to actually watch. What are we doing here? Than to just show up and to just go through the motions. Let me get in line, let me get my animal done. I got places to be today. This tells us that those who just show up are going through the motions, those are they're offering the sacrifices of fools. And it's possible that they think they're worshiping. Well, I made my sacrifice got in line, I gave my offering, I said my prayer, but what he says is they don't know they are doing evil. This is a warning for us that we can show up, we can be in church and think we're worshiping God, but we're actually sinning and doing evil. One way this can happen to us is we can just go on autopilot, right? This probably happened to you, maybe you didn't even notice it. You don't always notice it when it happens. You're, even though you're singing a song, maybe it's an old song you've sung plenty before, but your mind's just wandering. You're already thinking about all sorts of other things that are going on. Your mouth is singing the words, but your mind is thinking about the worries, cares of the weak. Often we can be too careless and cavalier in our worship. And do we come to the house of God as people who love God? Because some come because we just like the ideas of God. Okay, we find some particular doctrine fascinating. Maybe we just enjoy some kind of cultural expression of Christianity. But we should come to God's house to worship Him because we love Him. Because we want to worship Him. We want to hear from Him. We want to sing to Him. We should come because we want to draw near, as it says in verse 1. We should be drawing near to listen because we want to hear God. We want to sing to Him. We want to be with His bride. Each Sunday morning is much like a wedding rehearsal for that final day when Christ will return. Do we take it seriously? Because when, when that wedding day comes, are we going to not know what to do? Practically speaking, well, okay, that's a lot about carelessness, but how can we be careful in our worship? Well, there's a number of concrete ways that we can do this. One way we can do this is that we can prepare before we get here. We can show up already having guarded our steps, not just when we walk through the door and think, oh, yeah, we're here here to worship. And I don't just mean plan on attending or set aside your outfit in the morning before you get ready. I mean preparing our hearts. One way that I love how we do this practically as a church is just by standing for the reading of God's Word. I've always loved that practice. It's a small reminder physically that what we are doing in the moment matters they so we're about to open up and hear from God's Word, we should stand and give it attention and honor. Okay? It reminds us, and the important thing, it's our hearts too, right? It's not our bodies. We can go through the motions. You can stand every time and still not be paying attention or not care that we're reading God's Word. You can remain sitting even though if you can't stand. And still be careful in your hearing, but that's a good practical way, I think, that we can do this. But what are some other practical ways that we can prepare. Well, one question I have is, would you read the passage ahead of time? Okay, it shouldn't be that hard to figure out, even if you don't, you know, keep up on Facebook. We're just going through books of the Bible, so where we were last week, we're going to be after that. And after that, we'll, we'll be in the next chapter. So just read it, and you'll, you're going to figure out where we're at. But don't just read it. Ask questions about it. Wrestle with it. Pray over it. Write down the the things that you're trying to figure out that you don't understand. So then when you come, you've already got somewhat of your mind figured out around this passage. Because I can't cover everything that's in here. I never have time to do that, even if we just did one verse. But if you wrestle with it, if you come prepared, the soil of your heart is already tilled. It's ready to go. You're coming with guarded and careful steps. When we worship carefully, we can do an inventory of our hearts. Have we come here repenting of our sin? Okay, if you haven't repented of your sin in a while, this would be a good time for you to do so quietly. Sunday is a great time to do that. I often on Sunday mornings find myself having to take a quiet moment and repent and ask Jesus for forgiveness for things that I have not thought about or not repented of. Do we come? Are we ready to sing no matter what the song is? Have we come deciding that, you know, I'm going to sing and I'm going to worship God through song even if it's not my favorite, even if I don't know it? Even if I can't really keep up? Are we going to sing carefully with our mind fully engaged in worshiping God? There's sometimes I close my eyes so that I can, and there's sometimes I don't close my eyes because if I do, I'm going to start fading. But we can worship carefully, not just by talking to our favorite people, but by looking for the lonely, the visitors, the people we don't recognize, those who are hurting. We can worship carefully by caring for those people that Jesus values instead of just the people that we like on Sunday. One of my favorite professors at DTS, his name was Lanier Burns, well, Dr. Lanier Burns. And I loved this man. Um, I still do. He just exudes godliness. Um, when you were around him, you could just smell Jesus on him. And Dallas, we had chapel three times a week. I wasn't always there, but he was always there, because he had to. be. And as you can imagine, okay, you hear a lot of sermons, going to church that often, just work, not, you know, your regular church attendance. He heard more than a fair share of mediocre to bad ones. Sometimes there'd be a particularly bad chapel speaker. And you usually tell because all the students are leaving and grumbling and arguing and talking about how terrible that person was and how much better they would have done if they were the one speaking. And so one day, we're in class with him after a particularly bad chapel, and that's, that's what's happening. That's what's going on. We're all talking how, how bad that was. And he just opened up his Bible, and he shared something from us that he learned from the sermon that was beautiful and profound. And afterwards, he said, you know, guys, I always learn something from these sermons. Every single time. The good ones and the bad ones. And it's not because the sermons were good, but it's because he came ready to hear. And he knew, well, they're going to open up God's word, they're going to read something, and they're going to talk about it. And I'm listening, and I'm ready, so I'm going to hear something from God. And every time he came, God spoke and God met him. Not because of the sermons, but because he came prepared and he was careful in his worship. We need to be careful in our worship too. But there's another area we need to be careful in. Specifically, point number two tells us we need to be careful in our speech. We need to be careful in our speech. We've got to speak carefully. And here, he's not just giving us general wisdom for how we talk. Though The Bible has a lot of that, right? The Proverbs are filled with verses about watching our tongues. The book of James tells us the the dangers of our tongues. It's like a a raging fire. But Ecclesiastes is not talking about our speech all of the time. The context here specifically in these seven verses is about our speech when we enter into God's house. We've got to be careful in what we say all the time. But especially when we come to worship God, we need to watch what comes out of our mouths. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven. You are on earth, therefore let your words be few. See what he does in the beginning? He repeats a refrain twice. He says, don't be rash with your mouth, don't be hasty in your hearts. Both of those have to do with speed and talking quickly. James 1.19 right, reminds us we've got to be slow to speak. But here he's saying, hey, don't just be slow for words coming out of your mouth. But maybe the words that are coming to your heart should be slow too. Slow those ones down. And we should be slow to speak. Why? Because we are uttering a word before God. When we talk, when we sing, when we pray, especially in God's house, he hears. Now, it doesn't mean that he only hears inside the walls of this you know, church building. He always hears. But we as believers need to be especially careful... And especially aware that when we're in God's house and we're talking, God is listening. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. He's not giving us a geography lesson in case we forgot where God lives and where we are. Okay, this isn't the preacher telling us where God's true house is. It is a reminder of the wide chasm between God and us. That He is a heavenly being The only divine being, and we are made of dust. And to dust we will return. With a word, our God said, let there be light. And the cosmos were created, and every star, and planet, and our bright sun. Often our words come out, and we say, oh, I, I didn't mean to say that. God in heaven, it's a reminder of his transcendence. That he's the eternal perfect being. Somnipotent, omnipresent, he's never changing, he's always faithful, he's incomprehensible, he's the almighty king. To see his face it would mean death. He holds the armies of angels in his hands, creatures that we cannot even begin to imagine and the prophets struggle to describe. They stand around his throne and they worship him 24-7. With a twirl of his finger, he can throw hurricanes and tornadoes. With a thought, he could wipe us out of existence forever. Therefore, let your words be few. Don't just be careful in your speech. Well, maybe maybe just don't talk very much. Maybe say as little as possible. Understand and recognize who you are talking to. Verse 3, for a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. It, it seems like this verse here, it's a proverb. He's using it again to prove his point. The first part, a dream comes with much busyness. Hey, those who are working too much, who are always busy, always doing something, they've got a lot of dreams. Not just daydreams, but a lot of plans and ambitions about maybe what they want to do. And they're going to do with all their money or fame. They'll get from all of their work. And as natural it is, as that dreaming comes from all of that busyness, those who talk too much are usually fools. That's what the proverb says. Again, it's a call for us to watch how much we speak when we come to church. Sunday morning is not just a day for us to talk, myself included. Maybe, I don't know, maybe some of us need to try spending a Sunday morning in silence. To talk as little as possible. To carefully weigh our words. I wonder how different our worship might be One day if we tried that. And again, the lesson here isn't that we should never speak, that we need to be careful. Sometimes carefulness means not speaking, and other times it means, okay, when you're speaking, really pay attention to what you say. Maybe don't just say the first thing that comes to your mind. What are some other ways that we can be careless in our speech or ways we can be too hasty and long-winded? I think that um, one of the common ways this happens is we can be really careless in our prayers. You know, our, our tradition, right, or our, our tribe, we really pride ourselves on original prayers. Okay, we want to pray what comes to our hearts in the moment. We don't want to do, you know, written prayers or responsive stuff. And that's fine. It's not a bad thing. But the problem is what comes to our minds is not always very careful, is it? It's not always reverent. Okay, if I had time, if you told me ahead of time, I'm going to meet with somebody really important. I've only got a few moments to talk to them. I'm probably going to sit down and plan out what I'm going to say ahead of time. I just think, yeah, I'll wing it. It'll be fine. That's not careful. I think that we need to be more careful in our prayers. Maybe we should sit and think and write our prayers out ahead of time. Maybe we should find ancient prayers believers behind us have prayed and pray those. It doesn't mean that original prayers are, are evil unwise, I'm not saying it at all. But I'm, I'm trying to point out sometimes we cannot be careful. And we cannot be careful in those prayers as well. But it would be better for us to pay, pray a very short, careful, chosen prayer, even if it was six words, than a long-winded, careless one. It seems like we're going to go until we run out of words or stop talking. I also think we'd be really careless in our preaching and teaching. Personally, I'm convicted of this. There are pulpits all over the world um, where preachers are not carefully considering their words. We've got far too many words, speaking rashly. People who just preach their latest idea or the latest news headline or controversy. Um, One of the reasons that that I began, there's a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that I try to manuscript and I write my sermons out completely now is because preaching's holy work, I think. And I want to be careful and guarded in all the words that leave my mouth. Because I, I'm convicted that the work of preaching is a little too significant to just leave up to saying, well, whatever comes to my mind in the moment. Because um, sometimes what comes to my mind is not always very careful. And just because it's from my heart doesn't mean it's from the Holy Spirit. Okay? It might just be junk. It might be unwise. It might be wrong. It might be foolish. And I'm not saying every pastor needs a manuscript to preach like I do. I hope they don't. Um, but anyone who stands up here and opens God's word and talks for it had better be careful with their words. We have to be careful. Verse 4 tells us when you, another way, that when you vow a vow to God, don't delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So the next couple of verses here, kind of 4 through 6, they, they center on vows or these oaths made to God. Right? So this would be a promise that someone made to God. You can think of like Jephthah's foolish vow in the book of Judges. God, if you give me victory over my enemy, whatever comes out of my house to meet you, that I'll sacrifice to you. Or better, you can think of Hannah's vow. In her prayer, that God, if you would give me a son, I'm going to dedicate him to you. And then she does, and he becomes the prophet Samuel. These vows, they're really, they're immensely popular in ancient times, but they still happen today, too, though we might not call them that. Our soldier vows, if God gets him out of the war alive, he'll go home and become a preacher. Poor woman vows, God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give half of it to the church. Athlete vat promises, God, let me win, I'll give you all the glory for it. Okay, this verse is telling us if you dare to make one of these kind of vows or promises or deals with God, you better keep up your end. Because you're saying something to God. Verse 5, it's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Don't promise God anything and then not do what you say. Later in The New Testament tells us don't vow anything. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Verse 6 tells us don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Don't say before the messenger, oh, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now, there's some debate here on who exactly is the messenger that Solomon has in mind. What what is that? Now, most likely, this is what I think, it's probably a messenger from the temple. Okay, remember the context here, it's worship in God's house. For them, it would be the temple. So often in the temple, someone might give a vow and say, God, hey, I'm going to give God this amount of money if he blesses me in, in this way. So the temperature messenger shows up. It says, "Well, you said you were making a donation, and here I am to collect." And they say, "Oh well, no, I I didn't didn't mean it. I was just saying things." Or it could be an angel, right? After this is an, another option. After all, Paul tells us First Corinthians 11, right? Angels are present in our worship. So maybe it could be an angelic messenger showing up, saying, "Hey, you promised to God that you would do this, and then you have to explain to an angel why you didn't really mean what you say." That could be. Whatever messenger you think is in mind, the point is the same. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Be careful in your speech. Don't say things you don't mean. Now, maybe you've not tried to make deals with God in a while, um, or this isn't a regular practice for you. I don't think that lets any of us off the hook. Okay, because the point isn't just to regulate our vow giving, but our speech and how we talk. Solomon wants us to make sure that we are people who do what we say. Especially what we say when we're in God's house. Verse 7, when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So how can, we, how can we practically do this? How can we be careful in our speech? Well, we can start by just doing what we say. Now, what do we call somebody who doesn't do what they say? Someone who doesn't mean what they say. We might call them a hypocrite. We also just might call them a liar. Well, they said that, but they don't. They don't mean that. And we're commanded not to lie. It's one of the Ten Commandments. We're especially commanded. You don't lie in God's house. Don't lie to Him. But here's the reality, right? The truthfulness of our speech, it's not determined by the sincerity of our heart, um, but by the reality of our lives. I'll say that again. The truthfulness of your speech is not determined by the sincerity of your heart, but by the reality of your life. Just because you really believe something in the moment when you say it doesn't make it true. When you sing songs on Sunday of how much you love Jesus, you profess that, he yeah, I really believe He is the only way to eternal life. When you partake of communion, you proclaim, I believe the gospel, I believe in Jesus and His death and His resurrection. You're listening to his word preached and you take notes. Or you say, yeah, that was really convicting. I need to put that into practice this week. Okay, then you need to act on Monday like what you did on Sunday was true. You need to live all week long like you really believe and really meant what you said and acted and performed here. Otherwise, we're all just lying and wasting our time. You know, what makes what we sing and preach and say in this place true is how we live the rest of the week. And there's a warning in 6 that don't... Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? If we come and we just put on a show and we act like we really love God and then everything we do outside of these walls has nothing to do with them, there's a strong warning that God might destroy the work of our hands, at the very least He is going to be angry at our voice the next time we show up and think we want to sing more praises to Him and hope He likes our song. If you've been living a lie all week long, don't come into God's house and pretend. Okay, come into His house, but come into His house and then repent. And if that's you, if you've been careless in your worship in your speech in your life this morning, this week, for a long time, if you're convicted of your sin, I've got good news for you. The good news is just the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our last point is this. There's grace for the careless. There is grace for the careless. There's grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. No one has been so careless. No one has been too sinful that they cannot find grace and salvation. Right? These verses are, are so strange in the book of Ecclesiastes, they almost seem out of place. It makes some people say, oh, maybe they just got slapped in here, copy-pasted later on. Because so much of this book, it, it just lingos in the shadow of death. It lingers. And so why does he take this moment to just talk so seriously about worship? What does that have to do with anything? Well, the answer is because of death. All of us are going to die one day. And we should worship God as if we will have to stand before Him one day. It's the end of Ecclesiastes 12 tells us. And we will have to answer for every single idle word. Everything we said in passing. Everything that came out of our mouth and we said, Ah, I didn't really mean that. All of our words are going to be heard and judged by God. That's scary. That should be scary. That's why verse 7 it ends. that God is the one you should fear. The reality of the judgment Of God And having to stand before his judgment sheet, it should rightly fill us with the fear of God. But there is good news for those who have put their faith in Jesus. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, he tells us, "...since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness." but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's the key. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can approach the judgment seat of God, not cowering in fear that we might be annihilated, but with confidence. Not because we've been so careful and holy or careful in our speech, but because Jesus is our high priest. Because Jesus spilled his blood in order to atone for our sins. That he was without sin and he satisfied the wrath and the justice of God. So we should fear and respect God, but we can also remember he's gracious to us. He sympathizes with our carelessness. Jesus has been human too. He knows how hard it is for us. He knows how often we wander, how often we fail, how often we fall. He sympathizes with us, but, but the grace that he gives us, there is grace for the careless, yes, but it doesn't mean we can keep being careless. Okay, his grace isn't a license for carelessness. It's not permission to do whatever we want, but it is a promise to us that our carelessness doesn't have to lead to our excommunication. We can come as we are, but we shouldn't stay that way. Our encounter with the grace of Jesus, it should lead us to being careful, not just out of fear or terror or obligation, but out of love for God and for who He is and the grace and the love that He shows us. Right? Because sin, it separates us from God. It not only condemns us to death, it fractures our relationship with God. Okay, in order to be restored, we need a high priest. We need a mediator, someone who can make things right. Right? And that's what Jesus does with his work on the cross. He doesn't just give us eternal life, get us into heaven one day, in the new heavens and the new earth when they return. He restores us. So now we can commune and have a right relationship with God. He will hear our prayers. He will listen to us. He will be our help in our time of need. He remakes what was lost. So now, if we have been reconciled to God, how should we act? After having this huge relationship fracture, satisfied by the death of God himself, how? How should we respond? After knowing that how much our sin hurt and offended him, should we go on to sin some more? Well, he just forgave me. Sweet. Who cares? No. Because we've been reconciled to God, we should avoid sin. It's one way to show that we value our relationship with God. We value who he is. Our receiving grace, it should make us live in light of that grace. Let's just say, hypothetically, you know, my wife and I, Or my wife and I have been arguing about me leaving wet towels on the bedroom floor. This is hypothetical. I don't do this. I do other things, but I don't do this one. So let's say this blows up into a really big argument. Right? But I come back, and and I ask for forgiveness, and she forgives me, and we're all reconciled, and we're all in love, and it's great again. You know, this is all wonderful. And I just immediately... What if I then took a towel, dumped it in the sink, soaked it up, and just threw it on the floor? Okay, how long do you think that reconciliation is going to last? Not long. Because what does that show? Well, I don't really value this. I don't really care. I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do. What does it say about my love for her? Or how much I value this? Not at all. Okay, there is grace for the careless. And every time we fall, we have a high priest who sympathizes with us. And we go, we can find grace there. We can come into God's house, not just with fear that we might do the wrong thing, but knowing when we do, He will forgive us. But that doesn't make us just do whatever we want to do. It should make us want to be careful because we know and we love God because we are careless people who have received grace and now we want to be careful people who will still get grace when they're careless again. In conclusion, where have we been? Well, we want to be careful in our worship. We should be careful in our speech and even when we're not, there's grace for us. There's grace for the careless. I'm going to close this in prayer, and after I pray, I want us to carefully practice and worship our Savior through songs and praises. Let's pray. Lord, I I ask um, that you would help us. Lord, we are so often careless. We're careless in our speech. We're careless in our attentiveness. Careless in our singing. And Lord, we don't even begin to recognize how serious it is. We we presume too much on your grace. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be a careful people. We can't even do this without the aid of your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, you have been a man like us. You are, you you know our weakness. We, We ask for your mercy and grace and we thank you for it. We ask that you would help, if there are those here who are convicted or or weighted down with their sin, we ask that your grace would reveal itself to them. That you would show them the love and the grace that is available for any sinner who puts their faith in you and confesses their sins. And would you help us not be careless worshipers, but be careful ones not out of obligation, not out of legalism, not out of trying to earn anything, but motivated by our love for you. We pray this in your holy, in your precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we worship our Savior in song once more. This benediction from Romans fifteen thirteen, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you. Go in peace.